traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. All right. All right. Um, so with uh, thanks to Jeremy's intro, I was actually going to start off with um, what are the classifications from EMT versus paramedic versus ECA? Sure. Um, again, in the state of Texas, we have ECA, which is the almost the advanced first aider, um, first responder. That one is kind of going away. It's not as popular anymore. Um, and then the next level up from that is an EMT basic, which all of us start at is an EMT basic. Um, and then the new one that's come out the past few years in the state of Texas, and I'm sure other states as well, is the EMT advanced or advanced EMT, which used to be the EMT intermediate level mm -hmm. where they can do the same things that an EMT basic can do, but they can also innovate, start IVs, um, get a little bit more progressive on the, um, the cardiac medications and things like that. And then we go up to paramedic. Um, and paramedic in the state of Texas, we're a nationally registered state. So with paramedicine, we have to be nationally registered uh, initially and then also get our uh, state of Texas certification. And then the difference between an EMT paramedic and a licensed paramedic is that the licensed paramedic will have either an associate's degree in paramedicine or a bachelor of science degree in some healthcare or medical uh, major. So what, is that, what does the training look like for each step? Each step, um, ECA is very, very limited. That's usually probably about five to six weeks of training, which will include the basic um, advanced first aid, uh, CPR, of course. Um, and then the EMT basic is a full college semester. Um, and that just steps up from everything where you learn the first aid. You learn the um, different medications that a basic can can provide such as a patient's albuterol, uh, a patient's nitroglycerin. Um, anything that a patient already takes, an EMT basic can assist them in, in taking that medication. The intermediate, again, learns the steps for intubation. When do we intubate? When do we not intubate? Um, for an intermediate to intubate, the patient pretty much has to be completely unconscious and that's the last step. They can't do an RSI, they can't do a DSI or anything like that. Um, but they can also start the IVs as well, which is a major help mm -hmm. when you've only got two people in the back mm -hmm. of the truck. Um, and then the paramedic and licensed paramedic is basically a two-year program now um, where you're gonna learn the advanced cardiology. The pharmacology is almost up to the same standards as nursing pharmacology now. Oh, great. Um, so we have a full two-year program um, that we in the state of Texas are <coughs> using just to get that initial paramedic certification. So with athletic trainers, we have, um, we're under the direction of a physician. Mm 
Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean that we have a physician working with us alongside us all the time, but we have standing orders from a physician. Um, how does that work with um, emergency medicine? It's the same exact deal with us. We, um, we work under our medical director, and medical directors have to be certified through the state of Texas as an EMS medical director. So you can't just have the way it used to be in the old days where you just had Doc Rivers, who was the family <laughs> physician that wanted to do a couple extra uh, paychecks and, mm -hmm. and write some protocols. Um, now they have to be emergency certified physicians. They have to be certified through the state as an emergency medical director. Um, and then we work under their protocols. So we have some autonomy when we're working as long as we're under their protocols, we follow what they want us to do. Mm -hmm. And whatever they feel that we're capable of doing, we can do. So even though the state of Texas only tests you on certain things, if your medical director feels that you need to learn this skill and that you're capable of doing this skill, he will allow you to do that skill under his license. That's awesome. Um, kind of along the lines of the uh, working under the medical director, there are situations where, you know, you're at a game and there's a team physician on the sideline. Mm -hmm. What is the role of the team physician? What if they're kind of like going something that might be just a hair outside of like what your guys' protocol are? How does sure. that work? Sure. Well, this is where um, I'm a big proponent on emergency action plans. I love emergency action plans. Um, this is where the sports medicine staff of the team and their contracted EMS agency, they need to get together. They need to determine what the paramedics are gonna be allowed to do outside of whatever it is mm -hmm. um, their medical director will allow them to do. Because even though we have physicians on the sideline, we're still working under our medical director's protocols. So, and um, that's where the communication needs to happen beforehand, either at the annual in-service when you're practicing your CPR, your backboarding, and all that stuff. That meeting needs to occur. Um, it also needs to be able to be a smooth transition, and that's where that meeting will take place mm -hmm. because there's been, over the years, who has control of the athlete? Is it the athletic trainer? Is it EMS? Is it the doctors? Um, the way we look at it as EMS is that as soon as we're called onto the field, we have control of the patient mm -hmm. because our protocols take over. Um, our protocols are emergency protocols, so if there's a reason why we're on the field, it's because it's an emergency, so we need to take control. But again, that's where in the EAP training, the two entities have to get together and say, okay, you're still going to hold C-spine, but I have control of the patient. Mm -hmm. So, it, and that's kind of where if I'm asked to do something outside of my realm, um, it needs to be pre-approved through my medical director. Mm -hmm. so sort of that transfer of care is what you're saying? Yes, exactly. So you talked about your annual in-service. You guys do CPR, backboarding, all of that. Mm -hmm. um, are there, I don't know how, if, if it's common or uncommon to do equipment removal as well? Yes, this is where we're going to discuss equipment removal and how far are we going to go because our service, Harris County Emergency Corps and the Houston Texans, and I'm also the dugout paramedic for the Houston Astros, every year when we do our EAP training, we discuss what we're going to do. 
Um, and we've actually come to the conclusion that if it's going to be CPR of a football player, we're not going to remove the helmet or shoulder pads. We're just going to remove the face mask. Um, we found it quicker and easier where if we just cut the jersey, cut the shoulder pads, fillet them open, and then that way we can place our um, AED pads on there and we can still innovate if we need to with the face mask removed. That way we're getting the athlete to the facility quicker and we're not dealing with removing equipment, mm -hmm. uh, especially now the way football helmets are getting <laughs> them off and, and everything. So, and again, that's the types of things that we cover in our EAP sessions. Um, yeah, I mean, all of that takes time. So if you're thinking about something um, that is a very emergent condition that you need to, that time matters, then, you know, you have to take the necessary steps to mm -hmm. make sure to, to minimize that time. Mm -hmm. When organizing that, that like annual meeting or that annual practice, um, how should the athletic trainer kind of go about that? Like who are they contacting? Like how do you kind of set up that kind of practice with your EMS squad? Well, with me, it's really easy. Um, <laughs> sorry, it, 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 they just come to me. And Perfect. then I will, they give me a date that they would like to do it, mm -hmm. and then um, I'll coordinate it all. Perfect. But it's pretty much, we know it's going to happen probably the week before training camp starts. Mm -hmm. um, that's usually when we always do it. That's when you want to do it because you're coming back from vacation, you mm -hmm. want to get fresh, you need to get back in that mindset. Um, and as far as baseball goes, it's right after the season's over before they're getting ready to go to spring training. So... There's kind of a, um, a time frame that we're always going to know it's okay. going to be. But that coordination is going to be through, um, if you have a, a person that your contact is, uh, whether it be the EMS chief or the fire chief or the president of the company, depending on how that EMS system is set up, um, whoever their contact is, they need to get in touch with them um, and make sure that, they get it on their calendar as well because they also get very, very busy with different uh, trainings and things that happen in the summertime, especially. How long have you seen these kind of trainings last? I know um, I went to one for our one of our local NFL teams, and they have thirty people involved. And you know, me at a a college or when I was at a high school, getting my local EMS squad involved, it was I was the only certified athletic trainer and I didn't have any students and I didn't have any volunteers. And so it's a lot like less involved, but how, right. how long would you say that those trainings kind of last? It depends <laughs> on what you want to cover. Um, like for us, you know, we're the kind of the cream of the crop where we're able to have the same people every Sunday on, on the sidelines or the same core group of people in the dugout. So we can get a little bit more involved with stuff. Um, because we know each other more. But I would say, depending on how many scenarios you have, and I would I would say you need to have at least three, which is gonna be CPR, backboarding, and a traumatic injury. Mm -hmm. um, and have each one be 20 to 30 minutes, mm -hmm. each scenario. That way you can run through the scenario, you can have a briefing beforehand, and then a debriefing after afterwards so that you can discuss and critique and this is what worked, this is what didn't work, um, this is what we need to change, let's try doing this next year, but this is what we're going to do, and this is where you 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 settle on, this is what our, our procedures are going to be for this season. 
Um, so I think if you give 30 minutes for each scenario, that should be enough time, um, especially if you're the only one. That might be too much time. Um, but I, we've run into the same scenario where we've got 15 athletic trainers and then there's 10 to 15 at, uh, EMT paramedics and mm-hmm. then the instructors, they all want to get in part of it. and So it can get kind of kind of chaotic at times. Um, how many um, – oh, I lost my train of thought. Well, uh, while you think yeah, of that, yeah, go ahead. Um, speaking of that, that meeting, um, I feel like that's a great time to uh, kind of educate some EMS squads about what the athletic trainer is. And I know this might be more of a maybe a California problem as we're, you know, battling for regulation. I feel like a, a lot of people may be unsure of, of who we are, what our training is. And I understand from your guys' perspective, like you're just walking into the situation. So like... Of course, you're going to be like, who are you? Mm-hmm. So how can we as athletic trainers maybe do a better job educating EMS on um, our training? Well, first of all, it's not a California problem. Okay. It's <laughs> it's a, it's an everybody problem. Got it. Um, paramedics don't know what athletic trainers do. Okay. Athletic trainers don't know what paramedics do. And this is where the communication, the annual, and I keep harping back on mm-hmm. EAPs just because, like I said, I love EAPs. <laughs> um, but this is where as an athletic trainer or sports medicine group, you need to invite your EMS crews to these so you get to know who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, once you've contracted your EMS group to your team or your school or your facility, you can then look at their protocols and see how advanced are the protocols. Mm-hmm. Um, do we have the right EMS group helping us? Do they have basic protocols? Do they have advanced protocols? Because we have ALS, BLS, all that other stuff, and you need to make sure that your their protocols will fit into what you need them to do. Um, so having that introduction to each other, um, and I know budgets are tight, time is tight, but that would be a great opportunity to have like a, a dinner or a barbecue and just mm-hmm. invite everybody in and say, this is who I am, who are you? Mm-hmm. you know, And then that way you can get everybody's education level, what do you know? How long have you been doing this? And it, it's, you get to know each other that way. You mean not when we're in an emergency situation? <laughs> no, that is probably the very last time you should do that. Okay, I remember my train of thought that went off somewhere. <laughs> um, so when I was participating in, I've, I've been a part of different um, groups that have worked with like an EMS squad, um, but I haven't really been at one place that has done it multiple years in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, at a place that has every year um, a an in-service with the local EMS squad, how much are those protocols changing year to year? They typically don't change much at all. Um, it's going to be mainly on how is the science changing, how is the technology changing. changing. Um, you know, for example, a few years ago, we started putting ultrasound on the trucks. So mm-hmm. as that technology starts changing, um, then the, what are we going to start using on, on the sidelines? Now, we're not going to use ultrasound on the sidelines, mm-hmm. but if it's a traumatic injury that a football player sustains, we might pull the ultrasound out and just see if we can find any internal bleeding or anything like that. Um, but we also have different equipment like Lucas device, which will aid us in CPR. You know, we have capnography, we have ventilators, all that stuff on the ambulance now. 
So depending on how the medical director feels the science is changing and how he wants to use that science, that's usually when the protocols will change. So each rig, I assume, is going to be different based on if it's like an ALS or a BLS. Can you talk a little bit about uh, the differences between those and maybe who's on each rig? Sure. Um, BLS trucks are your basic truck. That might just be two EMTs on the truck. They're going to be able to do, you know, the basic first aid, um, childbirth, you know, that type of thing. Um, but if it's anything critical or advanced, like an advanced cardiology event, or um, um, they have to dart the chest or something like that, that's not going to be done on that basic truck. Uh, so anytime there is a chance that something advanced trauma-wise trauma or medical-wise is going to happen, um, you want to make sure that you have at least a paramedic, which will make it an ALS truck based on the skills of that paramedic and the equipment on that truck, um, versus is it just a basic truck mm -hmm. that the local rescue squad, that's all they can give you that night, which unfortunately happens. Um, also something that I was thinking about is athletic trainers, we're on the field, you know, we're, we're there when something first happens and then we transfer care to EMS. What does it look like after EMS has, has taken over care and is on their way to the hospital? What does that process look like? What is going on? Sure. We are, um, and this is kind of where my talk today kind of stemmed from because I was uh, questioned about why does the truck stay there? As soon as the athlete is loaded onto the truck, why are you still sitting here? You should be going to the hospital. But this is where we have to remember our protocols are different than your protocols. Mm -hmm. So as soon as we get report from you, because we're going to get a good report from the athletic trainers who witnessed what happened, assuming that crew is not there witnessing it as well. But we're going to get report from the athletic trainer, and then we are going to go ahead and we're going to do our own as patient assessment just to see if we find what you found. Mm -hmm. um, is it a broken femur? Um, are we doing CPR? Uh, is there tenderness in the belly? Can they move their extremities? You know, that type of stuff we have to also put hands on and see because of our protocols and because of our medical license. Um, and then after we see that initial patient assessment that we're going to do on the truck, then we start determining what's our care plan going to be. We have to get vitals. We have to stabilize any life threats. We have to make sure the pulses are present when they should be. Um, we're going to check blood sugars. We're going to check respirations. We're going to check pulses. So we're going to do all of that when we have the controlled environment of an ambulance that's not moving. Um, it's a lot easier doing an <laughs> IV when the truck's not moving than when you're bouncing down the road especially here in Houston where we love potholes. <laughs> so, so that's kind of the reason is what we're going to do is we fall back on our protocols at that point and how our medical director wants us to handle each call and how our licenses are set up and we're trained. We start taking over because we have to now give report to the hospital. And based on what we see versus what the athletic trainer will see, is going to create a much better uh, plan of action for the endpoint of that athlete because that's what our whole goal is: mm -hmm. is to make sure that everybody walks out of the hospital healthy. Yeah. Right. So, as a team, 
that's what we're doing. We're just adding on to what the athletic trainer has already started. I think that is something that a lot of people get caught up on is like my protocols, your protocols, like where are we at? But really our, what is the same for everyone is Mm -hmm. that this athlete, this patient, this is the, the, um, they're the reason why we have all these Correct. and they're the reason that's what we all agree upon. Correct. And that, and like I say that, the annual get-together is where y'all can get together as a team and say, okay, this is why we're here. And But it also falls to if the EMS agency is worth their salt, they're going to listen to the athletic trainer. Um, I've seen many times where there's been paragods out there where they think they know everything and they don't want to listen to the athletic trainer because you're just an athletic trainer. They don't realize that educationally that athletic trainer could run circles around mm-hmm. around you that they know what they're talking about you need to listen to that athletic trainer you need to get their report just the way we get upset when doctors and nurses don't listen to our report we need to listen to the athletic trainer's report so that's where that teamwork mentality comes in is that annual meeting what is that the most important information you get out of the report coming from an athletic trainer? Let's say um, not just for um, in general, but let's say um, an athletic trainer who has never um, transferred care to EMS before. What is something that you recommend for them to give you? Short and sweet. This is what happened. This is what I suspect. This is what I found. And then that's it. Um, because you, you guys on the field, you're not going to take vitals. Um, you're going to stabilize the best you can with what you have, which is very limited. Um, even what we have sometimes is very limited. So based on everything you have and everything that you see, because y'all are amazing when it comes to being able and placing hands on an athlete and determining what's wrong with that athlete. Um, that's such valuable information that we should get from the athletic trainer that this is what we found. This is why I think this. Um, and then we'll take over from there and then we'll confirm based on what we know if that's actually the case or not or if they're way off or, you know, just like we all make mistakes. We all, <laughs> we all misdiagnose stuff. So it, it um, but that's where that communication needs to start. Just what I saw, what happened, and what I think. I think lately one of the biggest communication things that I've seen is um, to spine board or not to spine board. Um, I know that different counties around us have have, they all have different protocols. I've had places that I've had an athlete who um, was in a position that that, um, I would typically spine board um, and our local EMS um, chose not to and then um, just a different county the EMS chose to. So um, what are your thoughts about spine boarding in sports? That's going to depend on my medical director's protocols. For example, we don't spine board if we don't have to. Okay. Um, it's going to be very um, incident-based. What happened? What are we finding? Um, are we going to do more damage by actually spine boarding them? Um, we're lucky enough in the in Harris County Emergency Corps that we're no more than 15, 20 minutes from the closest hospital. And then we have two level one trauma centers that we have access to. So um, 
that for us as EMS, that's going to depend on the medical director. Now for the team, that might be dependent on if you have a spine surgeon contracted, what do they prefer? Um, uh, what does the team physician want? That's where people with a higher pay grade than me have to come in and say, this is what we want to do. I'll do whatever you want me to do. Just you need, just need to let me know. Mm -hmm. um, and then also going along with the spine boarding is are we going to do log roll? Are we going to do six man lift? Are we mm -hmm. gonna, what are we going to do? Um, and again, that all comes back to our annual meeting. This is where we need to discuss based on what the EMS protocols are. Because um, the science is actually showing spine boarding can actually do more damage uh, to a patient than non-spine boarding, where we're just going to go ahead and, and brace them and and um, make them comfortable and just try not to do any more damage. Um, you know, something that we do on our podcast, Randy and my podcast, is um, we like to share stories of, we share stories of athletic trainers, obviously, um, and things that, that we experience, but can you share some stories that you've had maybe working with athletes or on the field? Um. Well, I've seen some very interesting things uh, working and professional athletes are amazing, but they're also uh, a big pain in the butt sometimes too. But probably one of the most um, um, memorable injuries that I had to deal with was um, it was at a professional baseball game and the watching the base runner just run into the catcher. And it was it was a gnarly collision. Um, it was a bad collision, and just seeing how the way the collision was, and then afterwards looking at the video and stuff, and actually seeing the collision, the fact that the catcher only had a broken nose, a slight concussion, and was fine a week later, um, was just amazing to me. Uh, it's just amazing how the body works that way. So. But seeing that, of course, my pucker factor went way up. Um, you're going through your head as to what do I do next? Am I going to be backboarding? Do I need ALS equipment? What do I need? And then in actually talking with him on the field, I was like, wow, you're in a lot better shape than I am right now. So um, that's probably the one that sticks out in my mind the most. Um, unfortunately, and I know with your, your dealings, with the MS and everything, it sometimes people ask us what what's the worst call you've ever seen, and you got to be careful with that because that mm -hmm. that starts bringing back bad memories, of, right, right? Especially when it deals with children, and, and I've had my fair share of those, yeah. but um, but it's always fun too as professionals to swap stories mm -hmm. and see how you handled it versus how I would handle it, and so it. it but that's the one that kind of pops out in my head. I know that's what always people like to ask is like, well, what's the craziest injury or what's it? And like, you know, like stuff like that. It's not like a good thing. Like, no. you know, but like you said, it is nice to swap stories with colleagues and yeah. Yeah. And, and we've me personally, I've seen um, CPR on the field. Mm -hmm. I've seen CPR in the stands that we've taken over because we were closer than the first aid people in the stands. Um, some gnarly, Injuries where we, dislocations, uh, open femur fractures, um, unconscious concussions. I mean, I've seen it all, uh, but it's just, in, like I said earlier, just working in this realm, 
that not a lot of paramedics can work in. It's just amazes me how mm. the, the human body works by doing this. Is there anything else you want to add for athletic trainers listening or anyone who <clears throat> you would just like to wrap up? Um, just be sure and communicate. Communication is the number one key with everything. Um, and if your EMS agency isn't reaching out to you, reach out to them. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't have to be a formal contract, but a gentleman's agreement. And just, this is what we need. How can you provide it? Uh, but on the other hand, if your EMS agency is not providing it and you're able to find a different one, find a different one. Because as we were talking earlier, it's the end goal is the, the protection of that athlete, um, the coaching staff. You know, everybody that's involved with your team is our main focus, not everything else. So if they're not um, adhering to what you want them to be, because remember, you're the boss. You're the one reaching out to them and say, this is what we need. If you know they can do it and they're not doing it, find somebody that can. Don't be afraid to do that. Uh, But be sure you communicate with each other and make sure you find out what your capabilities are and how can I help you and how can you help me. All right, this is sportsmedicineandbroadcast.com slash emergency transport with Brad Wilson, live at the Memorial Herman 2023 Sports Medicine Update. Brad, the best way to get a hold of you is going to be? Um, probably best way to get a hold of me would be through my email. Uh, it's bwilson at hcec.com. And I'll have that in the show notes. And uh, I'm getting ready to hit my busy time of the year, so if you have any questions, please feel free to email me. Uh, I'd love to get back with you and take some take some questions and answers and then but it might take some time so but please forgive me if it takes a little while all right so email brad and then obviously randy and sandy you know how to get a hold of them on at corner on instagram or facebook or by just listening to their podcast and they'll share the stuff there i am jeremy jackson host of the sports medicine broadcast and again this is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash emergency transport with brad wilson and that is a wrap thanks